Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode. And if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important. Sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O style and use promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host this is episode 141 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen it's well known that education is undoubtedly a key element contributing to empowerment and Ebony McHugh is an example of that today. Serving now as the chief legal officer for the Omby Group, one of the premier sports and entertainment firms to entertainers, athletes, and executives, Ebony oversees operations while ensuring the company and client practices and standards of conduct are compliant with professional sports leagues, regulatory authorities, and players associations. She would earn a sports management bachelor's degree from the University of Tennessee before attending the Thurgood Marshall School of Law at Texas Southern University, and she continues her passion for mentoring and engaging in the personal and professional development of young adults as a judge with the Atlanta Urban Debate League and currently serves on the advisory committee for the Winning Edge Leadership Academy. And as we recorded this episode before her beloved NFL team, now the Washington Football Club, changed their name, it was evident that sports and law are more similar than you might think. Our conversation with Ebony McHugh. Ebony, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. No, it's the other way around. I greatly appreciate you letting me steal some of your time. And I know you haven't had breakfast, so, <laughs> right? <laughs> you're probably you're very right. hungry and you're like, oh my gosh, now I got to have this conversation. Right? It's okay though. It's okay. I'll work through it. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. So let's kind of dive into who Ebony is. And going back, I want to hear just the the childhood and kind of what shaped you and how you were molded to obviously be a successful lawyer you are today. So kind of walk us back. Okay, okay. So I'm from Washington, D.C. I'm born and raised in Washington, D.C. So my family... There's not too many of those. Exactly. I know, I know. Then I moved to Maryland. Then from there, I moved to North Metro Atlanta. But my family, huge risking fans. Huge Washington Redskins fan. Now we so, have a problem. I'm a Cowboys fan. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Don't worry. We have a few Cowboys fans in our family. Okay. We, we still love them. But I, yes. um, So I, just growing up, truthfully, I just watched the Redskins. Um, I still remember the Super Bowl in 88 when the Redskins played the Broncos. Score 42 to 10 was the final score they played in San Diego. And that year, Doug Williams, who was a quarterback of the Redskins at the time, he was the Super Bowl MVP, and he became the first African-American quarterback to win a Super Bowl. So yes. from then, I mean, I was I was sold in sports. 
Transitioning, however, into basketball. Basketball was really, truly my thing. Yeah, we're you talking. That's yeah, my that's sport as well. Okay, okay. Yes, you yes. know, you know, back in that day, everybody wanted to be like Mike. Of course. Uh huh. Myself included. That's right. <laughs> so picked up the ball. Loved basketball. Um, played basketball for quite some time. Played basketball in the neighborhood. I used to play with all the guys. So I had to try to really step up my game so that I can be picked and not picked last. <laughs> <laughs> so I played basketball. Um, for, you know, like I said, for quite some time, my dad saw a skill set in me, developed that skill set and continued to play down at the Y, just all over the place. From there, moved to, well, again, moved to Maryland, then moved to Atlanta. And for some reason, I don't know why, but the confidence level that I had playing basketball in D.C., that just changed for me when I moved here. I don't know. If and it how was, old were you? Um, I was going into like middle school. So. Well, that's a tough transition it, at that age to move exactly. in itself. So from there, my confidence got shot. And I never, that's, that's one thing to this day, I always kind of think back. I never played to the capacity that I know that I could have played and where I was playing before I even got there. So, so now, from, did you keep playing though when you did move? I did. I did. I did keep playing. I played in middle school. I played in high school. But again, I could have played a lot better and I should have played a lot better because I knew what I was capable of doing. But again, that confidence kind of just it just got to me. But from that point, I, and, I, and I tried to give it another go. Like I was like, this is going to be my year. What I believe it was around my senior year. This will be my year. And then I got injured, um, never really recovered fully from that injury. So unfortunately, I knew that I was not going to play professionally <laughs> and I was OK with that. Uh, but even though I was not going to play professionally or even play in college, for that matter, I knew I still wanted to be within the sports industry. So that's when I, I was like, OK, you know what? If I can't play, I still want to be in the game and I'll be and from an athlete to an advocate. I'll be an advocate for athletes. I will, um, you know, do whatever I can to protect player rights and things of that nature. So how did you have that type of vision to think about you know, player rights and be an advocate like that? So going back to my childhood, we'll circle that back in. So now bringing the law side of everything, um, that was the sports side and the legal side. Um, when I was growing up, my mom loved Matlock and still watches Matlock to this day. Oh, yeah. Um, Matlock and Perry Mason. So I always knew I wanted to be an attorney just by watching those uh, two shows and pretty much all uh, law shows, but I wasn't quite sure what type of attorney um, I wanted to be. I, at some some points, I thought about doing civil rights, which I still love civil rights to this mm -hmm. day. Uh, but my passion has always been sports, so I wanted to find a way to connect the two: my love for sports, my love for advocacy, and that's when I knew, okay, being a sports attorney was was my thing. And how early of an age was that when you started realizing that that's that the was, marriage you wanted to accomplish that with those was two. probably around high schoolish, around the same time that I knew that mm, going to the next level was probably not going to be for me. Um, so it was around that time. And then I went to the University of Tennessee for undergrad. So the moment I stepped on campus and Tennessee is a huge powerhouse. I mean, especially from, you know, from football, of course, but basketball perspective, the Lady Vols. So exactly. I, I just knew that at some point the the two were going to marry and going to Tennessee really enhanced that for me. Why did you go to Tennessee? Again, sports powerhouse. I lived in North Metro Atlanta, so it wasn't too far, wasn't too close. Yeah. I could still drive about three and a half hours from where I was living at the time. And uh, it was a big school, SEC school. Why not Georgia, though? I mean, 
George is cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I like how you said that. Yes. <laughs> but Tennessee was more for me. I'll just, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. I no, I, I mean, again, Georgia I like Athens, so Athens is cool, about an hour and a half from here or so. Uh but Tennessee was I think was more for me. It was it was enough for where I could be I could feel like I was going away for school, but again, not going too far away and still just enjoying Tennessee as the powerhouse sports yeah, powerhouse. So did you go, like go visit different schools or were you just kind of dead set that I'm going to go to Tennessee? I knew I wanted to go to Tennessee. I also went and visited Savannah State University, which is the HBCU in Savannah. And I think I had some, I considered some other schools, mm-hmm. but I knew I wanted to go to a big school. So Tennessee was, was it. That was the same with me. And I came to the realization because I tried to walk on at Clemson. Okay. okay. And because I wanted to go to a big school, but from a basketball standpoint, I thought I was a decent player mm-hmm. <laughs> until I was on campus and tried to walk on. I was like, all right, this is a whole nother level. But mm-hmm. I, I wanted that same experience that big time school. And for me, you know, it was basketball. So ACC, right. you know, and all right. of that, it, it just fit. And Clemson you know, gave me the opportunity mm-hmm. so I stayed on as a student manager okay. uh, with okay. the basketball team and got into coaching, you know, after that. But I can understand there's something about that gravitational pull mm-hmm. with these big programs. Why do you think that is in terms of why sports just has this pull on people like that? You know, I don't, I think there are a number of things for the most part. I think the strongest thing is just like a sense of togetherness. Mm-hmm. Um, you, uh, you know, sticking within the SEC, you take any Saturday. Oh, yes. <laughs> and you have people from all walks of life, demographics, uh, socioeconomic status, religions, whatever the case may be. And for that moment during those games, we're everybody you're is bonded. like one. Yes, absolutely. You bond. You're one unit. We're all cheering for the same team, and even we're we're going against the rivals the same way. So it just has a great sense of togetherness. I think that you, um, especially from those that you receive from those larger schools, you can def- you'll definitely get that at the smaller schools as well. I mean, your school is your school. And that's you right. That yeah, love you still and that have that it, pride, right? Regardless. So um, I think that's the sense of togetherness for the most part is. I think so, too, because it it is that thing that can connect people and and bring them together, even if it is for two hours, four (laughs) hours or whatever. Because after that, it seems to, you know, change goes away. away. Were you a real competitive person growing up? Definitely. I'm still pretty competitive (laughs) now. Um, Not to a sense where it's detrimental, though. Yeah, there is a fine line that you can cross. Exactly. So not to that degree. But if I'm playing whether I'm playing, still playing basketball or I'm playing with anything that I'm, com- I'm really, really competitive. I want to win. Um, <laughs> I will say, though, to the flip side of that, I'm not so competitive to where, especially when on the professional standpoint, like industry and, and having different opportunities, I'm absolutely not going to like, tear down someone because, of, you know, just so I can win or so I can do, not to that degree, but for the, for the fun stuff. Exactly. We're playing a game, whatever the game is. Oh, yes. I want to win. Did you have siblings? I have an older brother. How much older? He's nine years older. Oh, so he was a lot older than you growing up. So I Mm -hmm. I take it you guys were not, uh, growing up, maybe not close, maybe closer now as adults. And and growing up, too, um, he also played basketball and, uh, or down, you know, going down to the court. So when I wanted to get on the team, kind of circling back to that original, the sports 
thing how, how I got into sports. When I wanted to play in the neighborhood, they used to call me his name. Like my brother's name is Rick, so they would say we got little Rick. So that's <laughs> how, that's how that was kind of my name, you know, yeah. gr- growing up. So well, that's kind of almost like a rite of passage, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hey, yeah. And, and how often did you get to move up where you weren't the last pick? I, I did it. So I you held it. your own, huh? I held, I held my own. And because I was, you know, I didn't want to, I did, I practiced so much outside of that, like trying to fine tune my game so that not only could I be, you know, picked sooner than later, but I, my name could also stand on its own. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes. How difficult was the, the move that you had in terms of the transition, especially from the Maryland, D.C. area mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Georgia? Because not only is it just the, geographic move but also the age that you had moved as well right absolutely it truly was a culture shock to be quite honest and just what I was accustomed to in the DC area the Maryland area like you stated it was totally different down you know here in Atlanta or north of Atlanta so it was a little bit of a culture shock it was a little bit of getting used to just large city to the south in general is is it's huge um and it just took time. You, you know, when you're at that age, you have to you get new friends and new teachers know, and new that's coaches. Tough. And there's just a lot that goes into it. But um, ultimately, it all played its role at the time. And yeah. Yeah. How do you think that shaped you? I think it's, I think each part of my life has shaped me in some way. I think that definitely shaped me, um, like I say, both in a positive and a negative way. From the negative standpoint, I lost my confidence. My confidence was shot. And so I didn't fully... I didn't play to the full potential that I know I could have. In a positive way, I just got to meet, you know, so many different people. I got a, a chance to experience something new that I wouldn't have before. So they both had a great influence. And when you, I guess, talk about losing that confidence, mm-hmm. at least on the court, have you felt that you've gained your confidence, so to speak, or was it just on the court, or were you, were you losing some confidence in who you were as a person and what your capabilities were. No, I think it was that was just on the court. Yeah, that stayed on the court. Insofar as everything else, I'm not I'm not a boastful person or anything at all, but I think I for the most part I tried to hold my own because I knew I, I feel like I kind of let that get the best of me. I wanted to make sure that moving forward that didn't happen again. And I, one thing that I at least from my perspective, when I look at law, that seems like a very competitive type of career. Is that is that perception true? That is very true. <laughs> Especially yes. obviously getting into law school. Yeah, I was going to say getting into law school is very competitive. Getting legal jobs is very competitive. Same with sports. I mean, getting into sports is very competitive as well. Uh, so pretty much, I guess, everything that we do essentially is very, very competitive. But um, getting into law school, going to law school, I went to Texas Southern University, Thurgood Marshall School of Law. And I loved my experience at Thurgood Marshall. Made some, met some wonderful people, some amazing, um, you know, classmates, some great professors. So I definitely enjoyed my time there. And the beautiful thing about going to that school is, while it was it may have been competitive to get in, once we were in, like my section, we were we were broken into different sections. And my section it was really like a family. We really bonded together. We really helped out each other. There was, um, you know, somebody wasn't able to catch all the notes from um, a lecture. We would provide the notes. So we really just kind of um, had each other's backs and really supported one another throughout all through years of law school, which because law school is a total 180 
<laughs> from undergrad. Yeah, what do you mean by it, that? It is, you have to, it's a totally different way of thinking. We're way more analytical. While some people say things are black and white, in law, it's gray. There's always something. It definitely seems that way. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you can attest to that. Exactly. So you just have to, your mindset is a lot different. And that is one thing that even now, which is a gift and a curse, that I'm always, when they say think like a lawyer, you're always thinking like a lawyer. Um, and sometimes it is a little bit difficult to turn it off. But, you know, for the most part. When you, when you say think like a lawyer, do you mean, you mean you're viewing it very analytical? You're, I mean, examining to the core of Absolutely. whatever you're studying. Ve correct. Very, very analytical um, issue spotting. So there can be a conversation that, uh, you know, you can be having a conversation with someone and talking about some, it could be anything. And if I, if I'm listening to the conversation, I'm engaged in the conversation, I am finding loopholes of where <laughs> <laughs> either you have a case or you don't have a case. So it could be, it could be something that, that small. Yes. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. but it's, uh, so how hard is that to turn off then? It's, it's very hard. Like sometimes I have, like some of my family and friends are like, uh, I'm not on the witness stand. <laughs> or they'll say you're overthinking. You And I, that's something that I do. I will say I am a, what I like to call myself, uh, a type A over-analytical perfectionist. Oh, my goodness. I know. Yes. <laughs> Can you imagine? That is type A on steroids, right? <laughs> exactly. So it's, which is a gift and a curse because, yes. you know, from the professional side, of course, I'm very meticulous. I overanalyze and I'm looking for things and I am very... Like I said, I'm a perfectionist, so I want things to be in order and, and I'm, any and everything. Um, but if you take take the professional side out of it, and if I'm just having an everyday conversation with friends, they're like, you are doing way too much. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it off a bit. It's not That's that right. serious. You know, so it can be a gift and a curse. Yeah, it's funny because my wife, um, I'm a type A to a certain degree as well, and especially like from an organizational standpoint, mm -hmm. like, I want the garage to be organized. I want certain things in the house to be organized. Now, and I've I've softened over the years. Uh -huh. You know, with three kids, that'll oh, yeah. that'll do that to For you. Sure. You know, so the the edges have been uh, softened a little bit and rounded out. But it's funny that so if there's a situation where I, the garage is organized, I know where things are, mm -hmm. and I'm anal about it. My wife will be like, "Oh my gosh, can you just let it go? It doesn't have to be you know mm -hmm. perfect." And I'm like. No, but that's the place where that item goes, yeah. right? Yes. But then in the flip side, when she's looking for something mm -hmm. she, and she knows exactly where it is, she's like, oh, I love you for that. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> yeah. Exactly. And that's kind of how I am like for my, with my friendships, for example. Um, I have two really close friends who I talk to daily, one being my best friend, another one um, being like a really, really close friend. And, uh, you know, they're like, they, they tell me, thank God, like you really have to have just a great support system around you uh, because they can call you out on things like that. And you know, it's out of love, you know, That's it's right. out of, you know, they're doing it out of your best interest. But, you know, but they, to the flip side of that, they're, they're like, you know, Hey, I need you to look over this or Hey, I need your eyes for this <laughs> or whatever. So it's a great balance and you just have to have those people. And I, that's why I love them for it because they, they get on me, but in a great way, in a very, very loving way. Well, as a lawyer, I can only imagine how many times people are coming to you. Hey, I have this. Will you let me know your opinion of this? Is this mm -hmm. legit? Is this? sound right how often does that happen uh, very often <laughs> very very often but you know it's okay because people don't 
well, few things. People don't realize that not all lawyers practice the same type yeah, of law. Different. So they just think, hey, lawyer, so I can come to you with any issue. But that's not always the case. Just like I know the, the classic example is you won't go to an ENT for like a foot issue. Like every doctor or, you know, medical personnel is, is different. Same with lawyers. But so, so I definitely get that. And I try to help as much as I can. If I something that I can't help with, then I'll say, hey, I'll try to refer it out or, you know, I'll try to advise them. But if it's an issue that I'm, I know about or something small, like um, it could be anything, then I'll, I'll try to try to assist with whatever it is. But it, it, sometimes it can, can only it can be like, because you have your own, you have your regular everyday work and task that you have to do. And then it's some additional stuff that comes in. But I mean, I don't mind it because, you know, it's to be expected. Yeah. Another per- another perception that I think with lawyers is that you just work all the time. Is that hold true as well? <laughs> Are you a workaholic? I work a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. how are you balancing things? So I'm trying to get better. I really am trying to get better. Um, but I do work a lot. Uh, and, and with work and with, you know, being involved with other organizations, I'm constantly on. It's very rare that I turn off. Um, but that's something I'm trying to do. You know, like I said, I wanted to get better at that. Um, again, going back to like my family and friends, uh, my parents are amazing and they're, they're great at helping me to just kind of like weed through it. And s- similarly with my friends, um, I know I mentioned my two good friends before who they're really good. Like you need to turn off. Like yeah, it's time need, to take a you break. really need to take a break. Yes. And I do have, uh, you know, additional friends who, even though I don't talk to them daily, they pour into me, I, and, you know, they do check-ins and stuff like that. And I pour into them and, and do check-ins as well. So they, having that support system again is very helpful in helping me, reminding me that yeah, you, you just you need to be held accountable. Have, exactly. Right? Exactly. And um, one thing that, Self-care and self-preservation, yes. uh, you know, it's extremely important, especially like now more than ever. So um, they are constantly, like you said, they are reminding me of that. And I'm trying to do a better job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I that am. can be very difficult, though, especially as, as you're that type A on yes, steroids. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what do you do for fun then when you do try to take a break? So I well. Of course, all of this is pre-pandemic. Um, I love going to concerts, festivals, traveling, going to kind of really just hanging out. I am very, I'm a quality time type of person. So I would rather just hang out. And we don't even have to be doing anything spectacular, but I would rather hang out with a couple people and just enjoy. I love food. So I go out to eat and try to find different restaurants as well. So I'm an introvert too. So it balances. I'm going to ask you, <laughs> yes. yes. Where do you get your energy from? Is yes. it from downtime after if you're around people? Do you need the downtime? It depends on who. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yes. yes <laughs> it definitely it does depend on the person. Because <laughs> yes. there are some energy vampires out there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I will need downtime from, from them. But really, uh, I think I just get my energy from whatever is going on at the moment. And I mean that in a sense of if it's an occasion where educating and empowering and, you know, helping someone with personal, professional development, that energy just comes. It just comes because that's what I love to do. That's something that I'm passionate about. Exactly. 
Exactly. If it's something else, I might have to build it up and kind of like, you know, okay, get ready. You got to go, you know, you have to go do this or talk to, you know, handle a situation or whatever. So it, it honestly, it just depends on the situation. Yeah. And some, there is a difference where, you know, like what I say, refer to as, you know, the red lights on, yes. cameras on yes. and, and you got to be on. And it, you know, it feels, you know, more like an effort where there's other things that you're passionate about. You don't even realize that you're investing the time or the sweat equity at all exactly. just because that's, that's what you are passionate about. And you talked about that and just, you know, from the empowering type of aspect and helping others. So why was it that you got involved with the Winning Edge Leadership Academy? So... I am so grateful for organizations like the Winning Edge Leadership Academy. I didn't have that growing up at all. Well, not that I know of or recall. I'm not saying it wasn't out there. I just didn't know about it. So what they are doing is mind-blowing and it's incredible. I mean, the re reality of it is in both the sports and the legal industries, um, they're both white male-dominated industries, plain and simple, especially from a business perspective. And what they're doing to just foster the next, you know, leaders and employees and employers and how they're doing, what they're doing to kind of create that space so that it's way more diverse in what's going on and what they're doing to empower and educate minorities and women and providing those opportunities, but providing the opportunities for internships or to, you know, develop their career or, or setting them up with different mentors or allowing them opportunities to, um, or creating the space for them to network. Um, you know, the one, one thing they have is the, the dinner of influence, which is huge. It's and extremely important because I guarantee you that most of the people who are at the dinner of influence, they don't get the same opportunities as other people. And with the dinner of influence is, it's just, uh, well, it's food is involved. Oh, there Food's you go. You love that. <laughs> we know <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it puts them in a, it puts them in a space with other, um, leaders in the industry, um, industry experts just to network, to, um, to ask different questions and, and build relationships. And, Oftentimes, there are so many people who don't get those experiences. Either they're shut out um, because of how their name is on the resume, or they're shut out because of what school they went to, or they are shut out because of how they look. And what the Winning Edge does is they culminate those environments in which they can, you know, like I said, foster those relationships, empower, educate, and just provide overall opportunities that most people wouldn't have. So with that, that's, that's why I love, love, love and have been a huge supporter of the organization. And that's why I'm involved. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, that's a passion yes. and it probably doesn't feel like it's work. Absolutely. Right. Correct. Because Correct. you do feel passionate about it. And I think there's an aspect of, you know, uh, allowing opportunities uh, for these uh, people. It's also, I guess, uh, people don't know some of the things that they don't know. And, and like, like people that uh, have this passion that they want to be involved in sports, but what all opportunities are out there? Right. Like, do people really know that you could be a lawyer on the sports side right. and marry those two things? And right. I think the winning edge gives those uh, opportunities where people can see a different career path, that it's not just about, oh, to be in sports, which you love, 
that you have to play or coach. Exactly. There's so many other ways to be involved. And that and I, that's another thing that I truly like about the organization is that they're very intentional. They are they know that and so they try to have they'll have attorneys present, they'll have uh, you know different industries present because we know it goes beyond just being a coach or or whatever the case may be. And uh, so so by doing that, they both uh, Kareen and Maria they are phenomenal in that sense and for seeing that there's a need and if there's an opportunity if they for example go to an event and everyone looks the same (laughs) at the at the event they will you know try their best and make their best effort to make sure that they you know do whatever they can to provide diversity because there are other people who are just as capable of doing with some other individuals are doing as well who just need that opportunity and on the flip side of that while there is a where you are presenting the opportunity to the student athlete or the you know the, the game changer which I love that to, to the game changer the corporations also need to be aware or you know whatever organization also needs to be be aware and they, maybe they don't know that hey maybe I should look to these other um, nonprofits or organizations or something like that for a different group of people Maybe they don't know either. So, but just by, again, what they're doing with the organization and, and building those relationships and bringing those people together and just shining the light on uh, minorities and women, I think is incredible. Yeah, and I think there's an aspect, and I don't care what anybody says, but uh, relatability is big, especially from an inspiration standpoint. So, for people to see somebody that Oh, that person looks like me. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that person and Absolutely. look what they have done. I want to do something like that. So exactly. I think it's a big part of it as well uh, to be able to serve that type of aspect, Absolutely. you know, to that group of people Absolutely. also. And I and I've, I mean, I've seen it with my. I, there was a conference that I went to maybe a year or so ago. And just me, just being in the conference and kind of sitting back and, and watching and Pretty much every everyone in there was a white male. There were a few women. There were maybe four or five um, black men, and there was only one woman of color, and that one woman was me. <laughs> you know, yes. and that's crazy because that was just last year. That was it's just amazing. 2019. So, yeah, we. It definitely has to be a yeah, lot. There's, there's still some things that <laughs> need to be done. There's, there's still, still progress that exactly. needs to be made. Progress, right? Absolutely. But uh, again, I'm thankful for organizations like the Winning Edge who see that and who recognize that and are trying to do whatever they can to change that, to help change that. How have you dealt with those issues where you are the only woman of color in these male-dominated situations? I mean, has there been times where you've been challenged just because of who you are? Absolutely. There have been times when I've been challenged because I'm a woman. Yeah. There have been times that I've been challenged because I'm a black woman. And, um, you know, you, you take that for what it is. And unfortunately, you have to, you can't react a certain way because if you react a certain way, they take that and, it, and they run with it. Like, this is why this, you know, That's right. whatever. So you have to be constantly be on. But how you battle that is just by educating them. And bringing that to the attention of bringing that to, to their attention and, uh, and, and basically calling them out in a nice way and pointing it out to them. And um, again, just just letting them know if you can and you have to use your best judgment, 
I mean, there's some instances if I see something and I'm like, I'm not comfortable about it, I'll, I won't go to that again. I mean, I won't put myself in that position again. But if I see if it's an organization that really could use the improvement or use the help and they're trying to do good, but they just don't know quite how to do it, then bring it to their attention pretty much. Yeah. So. And obviously there's a aspect of I mean, you got to stand up for yourself at times, absolutely. right? You, you absolutely. And I imagine you've had to do that quite a bit. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it, it I want to say it comes with the territory, but it shouldn't have to come with <laughs> no, the territory, you know? know, but it does. It comes with the territory and you just, you, you just become flexible and you adjust and you keep it moving, but you don't let that deter you or distract you from what you're ultimately trying to do. Cause there's always going to be somebody like always yeah. or something, but you just try to use that to your advantage and, uh, you know, educate and empower and keep it moving. Pretty much. In your current role, Chief Operating Officer, mm -hmm. what does all that mean? What does what like a, a day, a week look like? And when you're, uh, you know, and I'm going off of just the traditional nomenclature, uh, you know, making sure these leagues are in compliance, you know, what does all that mean? So it's, it's a little bit of everything. Your hands are, you're pretty much in everything because you want to make sure that things are constantly flowing, that you are in compliance, that there aren't any um, legal risk, that there isn't anything, anything that's exposing your company or your clients. Um, so, like, what's an example no, of that? Because I don't think a lot of people understand the whole law side and the risk, the risk miti mitigation side yes. uh, within sports. So it could be anything. So from a company standpoint, for example, um, you want to make sure that you aren't using something that is a protected right of someone else. So if, if you're using, we could say music or a, a logo or whatever, it can be something that small. You want to make sure that you're using it correctly. You're using it in its legal form. If it's, if it's an agreement, if it's a contract or whatever the case may be, you want to make sure that that contract is solid, that you, one word can make a break. A contract easily. That's right. One word. So you want to be meticulous, and and I am, I again type A. <laughs> <laughs> You're down no to those details, yes. aren't you? So as much as I can, I am down to the details. I mean, to to a T. Like I will review something. I am adding something, taking something away, um, asking questions. Hey, you know, do we have this in order? Hey, is this together or hey we probably shouldn't do this because i don't know if whatever i mean it's constantly just kind of keeping your eyes and ears open and, and just really making sure you're abreast of every single move that's being made and not only in the in this role but just in life like i'm very forward thinking so a lot of people are living the moment type of people which is great but i'm always thinking of like what could happen so if there is a situation I'm already thinking two months ahead. Like, yeah, nobody's checking for this right now, but two to three months from now, this might be a huge issue. We need to, you know, try to fix it or resolve it now, whatever the case may be. Of course. Well, yeah. I think there's probably going to be a lot of people that contracts are going to be changing in sports. Just pandemic language has got to be in there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> forward, right? Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. In terms of then, just from the the law side and the within sports, do you feel? I guess let me let me rephrase that. As a lawyer, mm -hmm. do you feel that you're also a negotiator and a salesperson 
at the same time? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You're, especially if you're, you're from the standpoint of player rights, you, you're constantly, again, you're looking for things. That's what, that's what attorneys do. We're, we're looking for things. We want to make sure that um, a, a player's right is protected. So if there's something in there that, a, that someone like a corporation, I'm just using that for an example. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a real world situation. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> but um, if there's something in there that, um, you know, that some language or something that, that's in there, you have to truly, I mean, you have to be on top of it. You have to know what's happening. You have to know what's going on. You have to, and, and for, in order to negotiate, to know what the player is, deserves or what the player should have, you have to be educated on whatever that subject matter is. Um, and those things are constantly changing. So you do have to try to be ahead of it and jump on it. I can give you an example. This was years ago, years, years ago, but, um, at one time, I had a client who was a professional athlete who had six legal cases at one time. Now, now to his defense, now all of he was not the defendant in all of them. There were some legal cases in which he was the plaintiff because, again, going back to players' rights, someone took advantage of him because he was an athlete, because he played in, in this league or whatever, and they saw money when they saw him. But you, you're constantly negotiating. You're constantly working out you have to make sure that this case is going okay over here because this might be some kind of PR issue that might come up you have to make sure that this case is going going okay over here because this is a family issue that's very sensitive so you're you are all over the place you're negotiating wherever you can negotiate and you're balancing it all yes it's a lot that's right and players go through a ton of stuff that we see a lot of it in the media but we don't see half of the stuff in the media I can imagine, and then, like I said, you know, from a salesman's perspective, I mean, you're trying to convince the other lawyer to see your side exactly. of why this is important, that right. this is in the language of the contract, or right. why it shouldn't be, right. you know, et cetera. Yes. Wow. I think it's interesting, because I, I think there's an aspect of sports and law are similar, just from the perspective that it, it's competitive, like we talked about, but also there's a little bit of, like, you want your client to... Maybe win's not the right word, but you want them to be protected. So there's an aspect that you want to get your message across. Right, exactly. And you want to do so in a manner because the legal, the sports and the legal industries, they're large, but they're really small. And you, and you want to do so in a manner where your client is your top priority. Protecting the interest of your client is of the utmost importance. But you also want to be fair and reasonable. So you don't want to come, you know, my client should have this, 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 and this. So, <laughs> I mean, and they should, and you should fight. You should be absolutely right? fight, fight for, for those most. things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you do want to do what's in the, try as much as you can to, to do things that are mutually beneficial for both parties at the end of the day. Because it, you want to make it a win-win. It's not always a win-win, but, you know, you want to try to, as much as you can to make it a win-win for both parties. Have you felt that there have been times where you felt that you didn't get the best for your client? Uh, yes. And I think every, every attorney or anybody who deals with any industry, if you have a client, you just always feel like you want to constantly do more. Um, there have been times when I, I, mean, I feel like, man, that was good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but then there have been times where I've been like, Hey, I should have, you know, I should have done this or should have done that. And then, too, in, in bringing that sometimes with that, 
oh, I should have done more. I have to, again, that's that type A in me. Yeah. People have to realize it really wasn't that bad. What you, you know, what you negotiated or what you asked for, it was really good. You're just being too hard on yourself. And I'll say, do you beat yourself up oh, too much? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that, that, that over-analytical perfectionist right. part that comes in. So, yeah, yes. it sure does. Yeah. What continues to motivate you? Um, education, empowerment. When you're educated, you're empowered. So I, so for example, um, on LinkedIn and other platforms, I get requests quite often from whether it's a young student athlete or, uh, you know, a young lawyer or someone entering to law school. Hi, can I pick your brain? That's the, that's the usual thing. Can I, <laughs> can I pick your brain? Can I talk to you for a few minutes? And for every single person, I've said yes. Every single now, I, we have to make sure our schedules That's align. Right. So it might not be—I mean, it might not be that week. It might not be until a, a month or two from now. But I make sure I take the time out to talk to every individual because number one, you just—you just don't know who you're talking to. They might just need that one bit of like inspiration and motivation to get them to the next level. Two, not one person got to where they are by themselves. Right. Not one person. So I am very, very intentional. And if I can, I will open that door for you. I will hold the door open for you so you can come on up too. Because there's enough for everybody. That's And that's where I was going back to that competitive aspect where it can be a detriment. There's truly, a, everybody can make it. And if we just help and educate and other people and just talk be a sounding board present ideas and that's a lot of times too they're like well i've done this and that and i'm like well have you decided to look up this or have you had have you had a chance to talk to this person or maybe you just have to change your strategy have you tried to enter into the into the sports or, or legal lanes this way or whatever so i'm just that kind of thing motivates me talking to to like i said the young the younger generation that is very very important to me just so they will know that there is somebody or a group of people who truly care about my well-being, who truly care about my career moves, who, you know, who are there for me. And they they keep in touch, too. And I and I tell them, OK, well, let me know how it goes. Give me a call back or, you know, send me an email or whatever, because I tr I want to know. Yes. I, I really want to know what's going on and how I can continue to help down the line. That's right. And that brings it back full circle to the winning edge. Exactly. Leadership yeah, you see why I'm right? passionate yes. about it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, exactly. Sure. What type of words of wisdom are you giving some of these uh, individuals that you're mentoring? And it can be phrases, mottos, quotes, or just sure. life advice that has meant a lot to you. Yeah, sure. Um, a number of things. First and foremost, just be comfortable with hearing the word no. You're going to hear it a lot. In, in this industry, at least. Um, so get comfortable with hearing the word no, but don't let no deter you from your track. Like, don't let it get you down. Just figure out what you need to do to better position yourself for the next thing. And that's whether it's a job, whether that's asking for sponsorships, you, you know, that could really be, be anything. And use your judgment because at the same time, just because one person said no, doesn't mean that another person won't say yes. You know, it could be, a different, your, your values might just align differently or whatever. So, um, so use your judgment, but don't be okay with no, but don't, you know, don't let it to defeat you. Um, also networking is important. 
Networking is extremely important. I know people say that all the time because it's so true. We, we, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. So that is so true. Yes, yes. yes. And with, and I take it a step further, um, beyond networking, the follow up. Following up is so key because you meet people. We meet people all the time. We meet multiple people even in one day. And it's not, you're not going to remember every single person that you've met. But if you're continuing to follow up, number one, you show that there's an interest there. Number two, that that allows an opportunity to build relationships and just to, uh, you know, to keep it going. So I know if this person has continuously followed up with me, I will remember that person for whatever the next event or the next opportunity is because I'm like, you know, they were really consistent. So following up is is equally, if not as if not more important than the networking itself. And also to uh, give yourself grace. That's that's one thing that I am learning. Um, well, again, going back to my friends. My friends keep me very... <laughs> they, they're making they're, sure you're intentional yes, about this, and right? And they're hugely important. But one of my really good friends, she, I was talking about something. I was probably like, ah, oh, this didn't happen or, you know, whatever the case may be. And she's like, you know what, Ebony? You don't extend yourself grace. Give yourself grace. Allow yourself grace. Everything's not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up. Things happen, but don't beat yourself up about it. It's okay. Like, if it happens, it happens. And just adjust and and, and keep it moving. And um, I'm so grateful for that because those are things that you know. But hearing that, I'm, now I'm like, okay, grace. Just grace. It's okay. That's if right. this happens, just allow yourself some grace. So to me, that's those things are, are very important. And having a great support system as well, having people around you who truly have your best interest. That's key. It's very important. People who are gonna, you don't want just people who are gonna say yes to you That's all right. the time. You want to have people who, you're, if it's in your best interest, they may have to say no. If it's in your best interest, they may have to say yes. If it's in your best interest, you know, they might have to have those tough conversations with you. And at the same time, they can encourage you and uplift you. So um, just have those a good support system and. Uh, that's right. That's, yeah, and just give you great. that other perspective, view things from a different lens. Exactly. Because in life, I mean, we can become so myopic yes. that this is our tunnel vision, right. our way of seeing things. Right. Life's not always about that. Exactly. You know, so you have to give yourself, again, that grace. The grace, there you go. <laughs> as well. Now, yes. you talked about how much you work all the time. Okay. But as a Michael Jordan fan, have you been able to watch The Last Dance? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> or is that, that a dumb is, question that for me to ask you? <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting question to me, yes. No, it's not, it's not dumb, man, at all. Um, absolutely. Yes. Oh my goodness. What's your thoughts? Uh, well, okay. I don't want to go through the battle who's the greatest of all time, although we know it is Jordan. <laughs> of course, uh, yes. <laughs> but if anything, that just confirms it like to 200 you know, thousand levels, but, um, but I think it's great. I mean, um, some of the stuff, of course, we, you know, cause you, you witness it and you were there, but just kind of seeing the, um, inside of it all, I was like, oh, wow. You know, knowing that one person can say one word to Jordan and that will trigger that next game. It's he's amazing. Like <laughs> dropping points on them. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's been pretty, it's been really good, actually. I've really thoroughly good. enjoyed it. And it, I think it just gives you another appreciation that one, success is really hard. Yes. Uh, yes. To get to that type of level. And it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Right. And there's just something unique about him that what you just described. I mean, it was amazing 
the drive that he would have to mm-hmm. prove people wrong. Right. That didn't believe one thing about him from that perspective. So it's it's been eye-opening for that perspective. And also, I look at him and say, well, he owns up to who he is true. and doesn't apologize that's for it. That's very true. And that's who he is and that's who he's going to be. That's mm-hmm. how he is in life. Absolutely. Ebony, thank you so much. Thank you for I having me. This is fun. It. This is great. This I is appreciate fantastic. it. Yes, great. thank you. While many of us understand the importance of mentorship, and maybe we've even had great mentors in our lives, it's truly a gift when finding those people who have the passion to give back through their time as Ebony continues doing today, and when you can also give yourself grace and not feel defeated by some of your mistakes, then that's when you can truly feel empowered to accomplish anything. Now that finishes episode 141, and you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.